and welcome back to the Dicebreaker podcast. This is episode 32. Uh, I am Matt Jarvis, I'm the editor-in-chief of Dicebreaker, and this week I'm joined by two of the team. I'm joined by Alex Meehan. Hello, Meehan. How are you this week? Hi, I'm back. Uh, (laughs) I'm no longer hosting. Uh, Thank goodness. So hopefully things could actually stay vaguely on the rails this time. (laughs) Oh, they never do. I don't have the commanding presence that you do, Mr. Jarvis. I think that is the first and last time anyone has used those words in combination with me. Uh, But yes, it's very good to be back. Uh, I enjoy this podcast very much. Uh, And of course, we're also joined by Alex Lowlies. Hello, Lowlies. How are you? Very seen too. Buckle my shoe. (laughs) (laughs) I just looked it up. That's the bingo uh, bingo way of saying thirty. That is how we should introduce every podcast from now on is with a bingo call. Mm, bingo I language. So I was what? thinking, actually, I'm quite sad about it because isn't like 22 two little duckies or something? Which that, I feel sad that we missed that one. But mm. from here on in, we'll be better. That's all right. We'll, there will be plenty podcast more podcast listeners. episodes. What do bingo numbers go up to? There must be a limit. I think it's is like it, 80. No, I don't know. No, because 88 is oh is a famous yeah. one. But I think it's yeah. like 80. Maybe 88 is the number. Yeah. Does I reckon it, uh, it's a hundred, right? Or, or maybe ninety nine, and we as soon as we hit hundred, we're out of bingo land. But and then we got to figure <laughs> out what to do next. Yeah, that's that will be the big, the big first challenge for Dicebreaker. Or do we is... stop podcasting? <laughs> we <just> say, Look, <laughs> we've had it. We've had yeah. a good run. Let's just face it. We have yeah. to then start counting backwards, down back to one. Yeah. Uh, that won't but... be confusing oh, wow. at all. <laughs> But for the time being, we've got a few more episodes to run of this podcast that you're listening to, in which we chat about this week's uh, board game and tabletop (coughs) RPG news and general discussion and what we've been playing. And speaking of which, let's dive in with Lolis. Lolis, what have you been playing this week? Why are you attacking me? Um... I've you said that like <laughs> you said that like a really old lion. I say it. <laughs> no, um, I actually have done something. So I was off for the last week, right? And um, of course, I didn't play any board games except that I did. <coughs> I played one Apologies. game. I played a Star Realms tournament. I competed in yes. a Star Realms tournament, uh, my first ever, and that I competed in. And it was um, it was good. It was like obviously they did it digitally for uh, Spiel Digital, um, and it was interesting because uh, just the way they ran it was was quite interesting. But also, I felt that there was a lot of time where I was just sat there looking at my screen while I was waiting for other matches to finish, and it was kind of annoying. Like there was one point where I literally waited like more than half an hour because, and I couldn't leave my seat because um, as soon as a round was finished. It was quite quick for them to start a new round. Um, and if you, you only have like so much time before they're like, okay, you're not here, you know, but you're out of the competition. So I was like, I didn't want to do anything to distract myself too much because I was like scared that I would get too distracted, forget about the tournament. And I also couldn't leave. So I just kind of sat there waiting. And like, obviously, if, if it was a real life competition, I would have gone around and watched other like um, games. But yeah, it was, there was a lot of downtime, but it was good Mm. fun. Um, I didn't do too well. Um, And I kind of was like 
thinking at the beginning, you know, I've played this game for years. Um, sometimes I have really good games, sometimes I don't. I think it'll come down to like luck of the draw at the end of the day. It'll just that'll be it, I think. Um, and I think it kind of did. Um, like every game that I lost, or even the games that I won, I was a bit like that was just luck of the draw at the end of the day. Um, it wasn't like because I was making any bad moves. I don't think like I wasn't making any mistakes. I just wasn't drawing the cards that I needed to or buying the cards that I needed to buy. Hmm. Had you been in a... So for folks who may not have listened as much, you are a huge Star Realms fan um, and play a lot. I don't know how they would have missed it, but just in case they have. But have you... So this was the first tournament of any like kind you've been in for Star Realms or had you been in like a physical one? No, yeah. I, I ran a Star Realms tournament um, <laughs> like way back when I was working at Drafts. Um, and it, that's kind of like the pinpoint where like my kind of board game career started changing was that tournament. Which is um, what that tournament meant a lot to me. But yeah, I've ran one, but I've never been in one. And um, I, I guess I did. I even know they had them. I probably did, but I, I never really considered it. But then I kind of found out about this one like literally four or five days before it was on, and I was like, well, you know, it's a Saturday. It's digital. I could definitely do it. Um. So yeah, it was my first one competing in, and I, I'd like to do it again. Even like with this setup, I think now that I know what I'm in for I can like prepare myself and maybe like get some stuff organized that I can do between matches or whatever um but just because I didn't really know how it was going to work um I did yeah as I said just kind of it was I ended up it was like three hours I think that I was in it and I only played seven games three and a half hours seven games something like that and if you consider a game only lasts about 15 minutes that's a lot of downtime Mm. Um, I imagine I was going to say, I imagine Lolis, if they were ever streaming any of the matches, I imagine you going into the streams and being like, hurry up, come on, <laughs> <laughs> play my next game. Well, no, because if I could at least watch other games, I wouldn't have minded, but I've just sat there like a lemon. <laughs> Did they stream any of this or was it just with within the app, I guess? I don't know. Th- um, so they didn't do it within the app. They did it. Well, you did it with you played it within the app, but they use like Battlefight to kind of do like the tournament stuff. Um, I don't think they streamed any of it. I don't remember seeing anywhere that they were streaming it. Otherwise, I think I would have probably been watching. Mm. But um, I think it would have been hard to stream anyway because there was so many going on at the same time. So unless you just like streamed the finals kind of, I don't know how you would have done that. Mm. Um, yeah. It's definitely one of those, I find with tournaments, because they're normally at conventions. And so it's one of those things that I look at and go, oh, that seems interesting. But you have to dedicate your entire weekend or a couple of days to it because there's all the kind of qualifying rounds then I think far that's, enough. that's part of it as well. Like, I'd love to do it in real life. But also, as you say, they're at conventions. And if it's like something like UK Games Expo or Essen Spiel or whatever, I'm there to play board games, not to like do tournaments that I could do outside of that convention like i'm there specifically to find new games and like to speak with people and like just i don't know the tournament thing at at these conventions doesn't really i don't know it doesn't really interest me because i just think it's a lot of time that maybe i could just do a tournament outside of this convention that i didn't spend money on or whatever Mm. you do a local one i'm sure once things are okay to do again yeah i'm sure there's one you at some point yeah i hope so um although yeah let's move on (laughs) before i get on a downer (laughs) 
All right. Have you been playing anything else or just Star Realms? During your, just that your... tournament. I don't think I did anything else sport-related. That's fair. I think Pretty people bad. often think that, like, most people when they have a week off, it's like, oh, I'm going to play some games because you work it. But when you work in board games, sometimes it's just nice to take a breath and look at literally anything else. Mm. Yeah. Also, I didn't really have anyone to play with. Mm. Like, my housemate weirdly was off the week before i was off so we weren't off at the same time um and yeah my boyfriend was working loads so i didn't have, even if i wanted to i wouldn't have been able to play although actually no i'm lying i've been playing loads of board game arena i'm such a liar <laughs> i just remember it i've been playing like the last three nights i've been playing board game arena for like four hours a night whoa what have you been playing <laughs> i forget that um, just loads of different things like Can't Stop, um, Love Letter. I've been teaching a friend of mine some games, uh, somebody who's quite new to, to board games. So um, just like some of my old faves, like, yeah, Love Letter, Can't Stop. Uh, we've been playing some Forbidden Desert, an island, uh, which I haven't really been played in years, but it's a great co-op game. Um, and something else, but I can't remember. But yeah, I've been playing loads of board games. Lolies, yeah. would you be able to explain what Board Game Arena is to the people? Oh, of course. Um, it's a website where um, they've got like digitized versions of board games. Like Unlike Tabletop uh, Simulator, though, for example, um, they are like, like an app version of a game. So the computer will do certain things for you, um, which is quite nice. So it's really easy to use. Every It's free. You can sign up for free. You can become a premium mem- member, which will give you access to like specific games like Carcassonne. Um, and I think Love Letter Premium or something is is on premium. But um, but also it's quite good. Like when I was playing these games with my friend, I'm a premium member and they're not. So I can start a table like of a premium game like Carcassonne and they, they can still play. Hmm. Um, so like if there was a, a bunch of you who wanted to play on it, you know, not all of you had to would have to be premium but yeah it's just really handy they don't have again they don't have as many games as tabletop simulator because they are digitized versions so um it i guess there's a bit more work involved in them um but yeah it's, it's really good i really recommend it they also do like um tournaments on there and like arena stuff um um i've been on it for years i think it's one of the main things that has like you know, I, I don't play it all the time, but every now and again, I, I go on Board Game Arena and then I spend like the next few weeks like on Board Game Arena a lot. And then I, I forget about it for a while. Then I come back to it. Uh, it's a great way as well to play with, you know, friends that I have abroad that I can't play with in real life. Yeah, I think it's worth saying as well. Like I there have been a, that between Board Game Arena and Tabletopia. I think they keep having trials because of all the different digital events going on, um, mm. which they're. I can't think of any between now and the end of the year, but if any spring up, it's often a case that it's free to try the premium <laughs> level for that weekend. So oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, they they're doing. Um, it's quite interesting. They they've recently started doing beta versions of games as well. It's like weird games like The Crew and Marrakesh, like games that are already there. So I don't really. I guess they're testing them before they like make them legit. I don't know, but um, yeah. Hmm. All right. All right, let's move on to me and what have you been playing? Ew. Uh... <laughs> yeah, as, ew. <laughs> as usual, not a huge amount, uh, especially now with the current situation. Um, 
But uh, we played a game of Root Digital, didn't we, Mr. Jarvis? We did play Root Digital, yes. It was... Yeah. Yeah, it was an experience. <laughs> I feel like you didn't... You didn't come out the other side of it particularly positive. But... No, no. Oh, no. No, no, the game itself is fine. Like, it's mostly I'm the problem. <laughs> um... Yeah, I've only played Root once, the tabletop version. Um, but the digital version is its good. Like, setting it up is a bit odd, um, as these things often are. It took a little bit of wrangling to work out how to, you know, set the game up in the way we wanted to. Uh, initially, we tried to put an AI opponent into the game, but it didn't quite work. But then when we did do it, it was probably a bad idea. <laughs> Because it turns out we lost to the AI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all three of us. <laughs> yeah, we were playing with one of my friends as well, and he hadn't played before. Uh, for those who might not know, Root is a quite a complicated asymmetric game, uh, where depending on the faction you play as, you have a, almost a completely different experience. Um, it's set in like a woodland sort of. Uh, war uh, and the artwork is done by Kyle Ferron. It's very nice. Uh, the digital version is quite good. Uh, I played as the airy to start with, which probably wasn't a great idea because I didn't do very well and I got confused because uh, I didn't realise that essentially you play the airy by playing different cards and each card is kind of connected to a different type of clearing because the clearings on the board have different symbols connected to them so when you play cards in certain what they call decrees which are basically actions that you can perform you have to do that action in that clearing specifically so once you do that on your turn if you manage to do all that you're fine however what I didn't realise is on the turns after that the cards that you've played in those decrees stay there. They don't go. So you just add to them as you go along. I didn't realise that and I thought the game was messing me about. <laughs> oh no. By putting these these cards in there. And I was like, I didn't put those in there this turn. I don't know why they're there. And if you can't manage to do all your actions in your decree, you're basically deposed. And what that means is you get a new leader... And you lose victory points equal to the number of cards you placed in your decree up to that point. And so I was just getting absolutely ruined. <laughs> to the point where my flatmate said they heard me wailing on the other side of the flat. <laughs> just in distress of like, I can't believe I've done this. <laughs> And then I think you ended up winning, didn't you, Matt? I Yeah, I think I won that first game. I had the benefit of I played the Vagabond, which I had played before, that I'm kind of most familiar with from Root. Because I feel like Root is, I love it, but if you are coming to it for the first time or for the first time in a long while, it's essentially four different games depending on which mm. faction you're playing. So if you've never played like the Eerie before, like the Eerie, I struggle to wrap my head around because I'm terrible at forward planning in games so oh. trying to think four turns ahead where it's like okay i'll put this card in this section of the decree and be like i can move to that clearing three turns from now and still manage to do it 
that always I find really hard. But the Vagabond is basically like a mini RPG where you just move around collecting items and trading with people. Um, mm. Although even then I forgot that relationships are quite a big part of it. Uh, so I immediately <laughs> shot one of the Marquis de Cat uh, warriors with my crossbow, which made us enemies for the rest of the game. Oh, and meant that I just boy. had to keep attacking cats to get victory points. Oh, no. Um, so yeah, it's it's an incredible game, but there is a lot to wrap your head around. Um, yeah, but... I mean, the, it wasn't the game's fault. That I, I will say that the digital version especially doesn't show the game boards from the original tabletop version, which give you a very clear idea of what you can and can't do. But even then, I'd say some of the rules aren't they unless you want to flick through the rule book which we could have um they're not like super clear so like the fact that those cards stay in the decree i don't know i feel like i could have worked that out a bit earlier <laughs> than i did i only found it out by looking it up but i think we all looked it up to try and work out what was going on uh i don't know i feel like maybe the game could have said oh by the way these cards stay here it's worth saying there is a tutorial but we did just kind of jump in off the bat yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i didn't play the tutorial as well that so probably didn't help but i mean what does it take just to put one a single note there would have done a single thing saying by the way these stay here and i would have been like okay that's fine i understand now but obviously, yeah, we probably could have played the two. We didn't want to play the tutorial because we wanted to play the game. So I guess that is also our fault. But uh, I mean, the next game I played the Marquise de Cat and I was fine. Uh, apart from the AI, like, dunking on all Yeah, of the AI played the Woodland Alliance, which just builds up rebellion throughout the woodland. Uh, so at some point it was so expensive to move into any clearing because it had placed um, what are the to- sympathy um, tokens, yeah, um, yeah. So it makes it harder to move into those clearings and deal with them. But mm. it's a yeah, it's a good game. I think we also the first game we played was unbalanced because we had said it was having a fourth human player. Because I got confused by the UI and didn't add an an AI, and we just had an oh. empty four number four. And I think it adjusts it or recommend certain factions to play to keep things balanced because it's very much a game of okay the cats deal with the alliance and the alliance deals with the birds and the birds are dealing with the vagabond and you kind of coexist in a way Mm. where you're all kind of balancing each other out and if you Mm. take a part out of that it doesn't play quite as well but yeah i mean i lost the first game because i was stupid but the second game I lost because I thought it would be a good idea to change my objective mid-game. You can do this. You can change your win condition from what it usually is as your faction to just something else that's on one of the cards that you can draw. So I changed it to if I control three of these types of clearings by the end of the round, then I win. Because I just thought, why not? It turns out it wasn't the best of ideas because the Wooden Alliance is like the squat on like pretty much all of the clearings that I needed and they were just such a nightmare to deal with they just never stopped coming I would kill a few of their units and they would pop up again honestly it's like dealing with a pest problem it was the worst (laughs) um and then our 
my friend played the Eerie a lot better than I did, but wasn't enough, apparently, <laughs> to do with the, the AI alliance. What, did the AI win? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. That's so bad. Yeah. Matt was close, I think, weren't you, Matt? I, yeah. I think I, that that game I traded a lot more and I didn't immediately start a fight with the cats, which helped me out massively because I was able to actually craft things and get items. But I think it's, it is one of those games where the app version helps a lot in just speeding along some of the more complicated aspects because when you're playing in person, you kind of have to drive what your faction does and remember because you are the only person doing those rules. Mm. Um and the app speeds that up. Uh, but it's still a game where it takes multiple plays to kind of really dig into how to play one faction. So if you stick with a faction, that's really great. But if you plan on jumping around, you kind of have to relearn the whole game from that mm. perspective. But The the cat is... Marquis the cat is very straightforward. Like, mm. it's... it's I'd say that is easily the easiest faction to get your head around. I'd say. You, I know you think the Vagabonds are more straightforward, but I don't know. With, with the cat, it's just very much like, this is what you need to do. Build these things. And I'm like, okay, you build the things. Whereas with the Airy, it's just like, you've got to place these cards, but remember they're going to be there. And oh no, you can only put a roost in each clearing. You can't put more than one roost. Mm. And if you don't realise that, then you're in the toilet, like I was. <laughs> yep. So there you go. That's what I've played. Is that it? Is that? Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. I've it's actually rude. played quite a bit. Uh, mm. I so I was also off last week, um, and I played all three of the uh, escape rooms in the Star Wars Unlock box, <gasps> uh, which I'd played Unlock a while back. Uh, for those who don't know, it's kind of like an escape room game. And you use a companion app to put codes into, and then you have a deck of cards. And the cards have numbers, and you can combine them. So if you find, I don't know, a toothbrush and some teeth, you might combine them, add the numbers together, and that will either give you a different card, or you'll put it in the app, and that will unlock something. Um, So I was... I thought the original set, when I played it way back when, was fine. Um, but the app kind of just made it a bit samey because it was just like, okay, combine these cards, add the number together, put a thing in the mm-hmm. app. And it was kind of that again and again and again. With yeah. the Star with the Star Wars ones, they've added a bit more that added some extra kind of elements. So at points you had to, there were like mini games in the app where you had to scan with binoculars or you had to guide a robot around some vents um, was it a gonk droid or not? It was not a gonk droid. Uh, but there are some small kind of droids that you could presumably give voices to. Mm. Uh, yeah, I thought they were they were pretty decent. Uh, the last one, there are some elements where they're kind of a bit restrained by trying to use the same add these numbers together element, where they try to be a little bit more clever. But if they break the rules too much because you're not expecting it, it took us a second to go like, oh, okay, right, like, this is how that works. And once you kind of realise that they're going to mess around with the formula a little bit more, uh, you start to think along those lines. But I thought on the whole it was good. The only thing with it is that it's, I think it's 25 or 30 quid for the box. There are free adventures in there, plus like a 10-minute tutorial. And the adventures took us about 30 to 45 minutes each. 
So yeah. it's kind of less than two hours overall for 30 mm. quid, which is quite mm. steep. But the. It's, it is Star Wars. I'm yeah. I, mean, I think all the unlock boxes are similar, similarly priced. Yeah. But the benefit versus something like Exit the game. Uh, where you tear stuff up is that you can just give it to a friend and then they can have a go so there is a bit more kind of longevity in it if you're willing to kind of maybe chip in five or ten quid each play them and then pass it on because they also play best with kind of two people because otherwise you've got a group of four people all trying to crowd around cards pick them up look for tiny numbers and it gets a little bit more uh hectic but, mm, yeah. See now that that might be a game that would be good for that Hasbro game table, because it'd be like mm. you're a detective and you've got all your stuff on the table, and then you're like putting stuff together. But other than that, that table's still. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> thumbs down. Still thumbs down. Yeah, I think I'm still I'm still furious about that table. Oh goodness! It's furious. definitely a case where like they they do a little bit more with the companion app. Like not everyone likes companion apps in games, so that's fine. Mm. Um, but here they at least kind of justify it a bit. Where it's like, okay, you you do a lot with the cards, and then you have the occasional mini game or kind of you input like a code into the app. And oh, it yeah. also plays a bit of Star Wars music. So, yeah, I was going to ask: is yeah. it is there copyright Star Wars music? Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all official. Um, oh, and wow. the three adventures: one is set on Hoth, one is set on um, oh, Jakku. Jakku, that's it. Jakku yes, the desert one? planet, and one is set on a star destroyer, I think, or the Death Star. Um, so they they have fun with it. Um, ah. You don't meet. I don't think you meet any kind of notable characters at any point. I can't remember. Ah. meeting any notable characters but Ooh. you meet like stormtrooper generic stormtrooper not uh, even Django fett you do not meet Django fett uh but yeah i thought it was it was pretty fun if you like star wars and you like escape room games and you don't mind the price or you're able to kind of share it out somehow i would say check it out you don't uh, meet boss nass either uh you do not no these are all set during the original trilogy she's gonna There's keep no going matt move on phantom menace uh <laughs> The only other thing that we obviously... We... <laughs> Go through the entire Star Wars card. Yeah. We all played uh, D&D earlier this week. Dungeon Breaker continues we uh, in predictably or unpredictably chaotic fashion. Uh, so the next <laughs> the next run of episodes will be at Saturday or at free. On Saturday at free. As usual, yeah. you should tune in and watch them because... Yeah, things are really... Uh, if they were off the rails before, this time they're just kind of like out somewhere in the wasteland, spinning in circles and just yeah. hitting oh, the mate. novelty horn. I feel like I feel like the... the, the so the three episodes are ongoing now. So the... What's it called? Noel's House Party. <laughs> Noel's House Party. Yeah. I feel like we really like got the train off the rails there, right? But in the ones that we filmed this week, the ones that are coming afterwards. I feel like Johnny did a lot of that work himself. Yeah, I feel like he's he's embraced. I think the he's out chaos. for some revenge. Yeah. yeah, he's the one putting the whoopee cushion under the seat, and we're the ones jumping on it with absolute glee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. Oh boy. So, so a little bit of D and D, and then I've also flicked through, but I haven't played yet. Those dark places, uh, which we'll be playing <gasps> next week when this what? goes out. On the 19th, which is like a... It's a very light role-playing game that is very heavily inspired by Alien. Um, which is kind of interesting on the back of the Alien RPG official. 
Um, I wrote I wrote about this Matt Jarvis. Yeah, it's a it's it seems very cool. So I've read through the rule book and it's a very light system. So it's literally you have four core abilities, which are like charisma, agility, strength, and endurance. I want to say cool it, coolness. It, it spells out case, um, and you roll a d six, a single d six, six sided dice uh, die. And then you add that to whatever your score is in one of those abilities. And if you get over seven, you succeed. Um, and if you get a seven, it's a mixed success. And the GM can modify it slightly to six or eight to make it easier or harder. And that's kind of the game. Um, but it really, it just kind of boils down that system. I'm, I'll be interested to see whether it manages to capture the same kind of level of tension as the Alien RPG, which I think was was quite good but was also yeah. quite a crunchy kind of rules heavy version uh, is it spooks matt jarvis do I? is it spooks I, the I, I can't i can't speak to whether it's spooks um but i can say that it has very nice artwork uh mm. it, it instantly won me over because the first picture is of a cat sat on a space helmet that is very reminiscent of the helmet that ripley wears in alien so mm. it's like i'm on board from this point onwards uh, the cat's name is Jones. Jonesy. Jonesy, that's the one. Yeah, uh, but I think also it's worth saying that this book is—I think it's fifteen quid. It's not very much at all. Mm. Um, so it has a light set of rules, but it's also got a load of kind of very basic info for weapons, and it has some stuff on running uh, games as the GM, uh, which I think mm. they call like the, the general monitor or something like that. They come up with their own acronym for GM. It's it's one of those. But yeah, it seems nice. it seems cool. I am looking forward to running it at some point and seeing how it plays out. Uh, I suspect it would be probably good for one shots. I don't know whether it would be as good for like a longer campaign, but I don't think that's what it's going for. So, mm. Yes. All spooks! Right. Halloween's over. You can't bring in the spooks <laughs> now. You have to wait a whole you can't year. can't stop me! <laughs> All right, spooks let's. Is always... Spooks are not just for Halloween. <laughs> yeah, spooks are for <laughs> the year all year. Round. The ghosts of Christmas past is coming up. Christmas yeah. spooks. Uh, let's move on to news. Great. Ooh. That's the enthusiasm <laughs> we look here for. Hey! Here, the... <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Here, here comes the news spooks. train. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry, speaking of RPGs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the k- kazoo. The news kazoo. The news kazoo. <laughs> Yeah. The news kazoo at two with Matt Jarvis. Uh, <laughs> where Matt tells all the news through a kazoo. <laughs> oh my god. Do it. <laughs> uh, try to break some kind of very unhappy headline through the medium of a kazoo. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it just drops into it. <laughs> uh, this will play great for all the people listening at home who are like, have my has my headphone jack fallen out? Uh, let's let's read some things in in normal language rather than kazoo. Uh, so we've got kaboo. some kaboo. <laughs> Enough with the spooks. Haunted kazoo. Um, haunted kazoo. Lolis is haunted kazoo. That's the name of this episode. It's it's going in the document. A little peek behind the scenes. 
Uh, right, let's let's read this news headline <laughs> as I tried to five minutes ago before we start doing kazoo impressions. Uh, we have some more news on the One Ring RPG, uh, which is the Lord of the Rings RPG that was first released in 2011 uh, by Cubicle 7, uh, the role-playing publisher, and then was announced to be cancelled last year um, and was kind of officially cancelled earlier this year as the result of Cubicle 7... Uh, I think the the phrasing they used is contractual differences uh, with sophisticated games, which is the kind of license holder for a lot of the Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth stuff. Um, but then it was announced that it was passing into the hands of Free League, which is the studio behind Tales from the Loop and the Alien RPG, Forbidden Lands, um, a number of notable games. So they told us, us being Dicebreaker, that it is a proper second edition of the game rather than a complete mm. remake. Um, so Cubicle 7 was working on a second edition uh, initially, which was announced le- uh, early last year for release late last year or early this year. Um, but with the the contractual differences, they essentially said, we don't have time to finish it and had to cancel the whole thing. Um, so Free League has said that this will be a second edition. Um, and they've also said that they will be remaking or making a new version of Moria the Long Dark which was an adventure that was originally announced for the first edition of the game then moved to the second edition and then cancelled along with the cancellation Uh, so it's been a long time coming Um, but yes they've they've said that it will be released in the first half of next year hopefully uh, all things being well or as well as they get in this year Um, and they have said it will be followed by a version of the game that's compatible with D&D 5e. Um, which Cubicle 7 previously released Adventures <laughs> in Middle-earth, which was essentially the One Ring ported to the D&D system. So, yeah, there are more details on the Dicebreaker website. Um, but that's kind of the long short of it, is that it's a it's a full second edition. Also, that it will focus on Eriador, um, which was mentioned in a few kind of supplements previously for it. Uh, and there will be a starter set that will take place, at least partly, in the Shire, which has, I think, never appeared in the game before, um, and will apparently feature some characters from the books as well. Tom um, Bombadil, right? They haven't confirmed Tom Bombadil or Fatty or any of the minor side characters <laughs> from The Lord of the Rings. Um they just said characters from the books. I would assume that would mean Frodo, Sam, you know, yeah, Gandalf. Yeah. Tom Bombadil, yeah, probably yeah. not top of the list. <laughs> Come on. Everybody needs a Sam. Yeah, well, what about playing as a spongy orc? Some people want to do that. A spongy orc? Yeah. You mean like Gothmog? Yeah, yeah, like Gothmog. He's my favourite. Uh, well, they have said that there will be a player's companion that will include additional rules for the other inhabitants of Middle-earth. Uh, so Finally. along with, I guess, the ones you'd expect, which will be Hobbit, Man, Elf, so on, uh, there will be presumably more. Uh, but I don't think they've said whether you can... I don't remember from... I own a copy of the One Ring. I can't remember if you can play as an Orc or an Urukai or kind of the forces of Sauron or if it's stuck to the the free peoples. But Well, come on now. If it is, it's about time that stopped. <laughs> Well, we'll find out more, presumably, the start of next year ahead of its release. Mm. Uh, They also hinted that there might be more on the way set in uh, Middle-earth, but kind of said, there's currently nothing planned, but it's a setting near and dear to our hearts. 
So I'll answer yeah. with a cheeky maybe, um, Martin Ooh. Takeshi said, uh, who is one of the developers working on it. So yes, yeah, there we go. If you want to see more and see some artwork, head on over to dicebreaker.com. Uh, let's move on. Speaking of Dungeons and Dragons, as we always do, there is a Dungeons and Dragons live action TV series in the works. <laughs> so this Two very different reactions there. <laughs> this was a little snippet of information out of the latest kind of um, investors call from Hasbro, which owns Wizards of the Coast, which uh, kind of controls Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering. Um, so CEO Brian Goldner said the Entertainment One, which is the film and TV studio owned by Hasbro because Hasbro owns a lot, um, was currently working on a couple of different approaches to creating a live action television adaptation of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, mm. That's kind of all the information. Um, Goldner added that uh, multiple options are being explored because there's so much mythology and canon involved in D&D. Uh, and also said, there's been very strong interest from global streamers and other terrestrial broadcasters. Um, yeah. And that's, that is, that's everything we know at the moment. Mm. Um, so we don't know oh. when it might emerge. We don't know any details of what it might be about. Uh, there's obviously the, the new D&D film in the works for, I think, 2022 now. Um, yeah. Having been delayed from next year. So whether that's it will been, tie into that... Been bobbing about somewhere uh, yeah that's been in the works for five six years yeah. longer than that that's that's already a good sign isn't it when you the film you've been working on has already been in development for six years uh not not to be a debbie downer here i don't know it'd be interesting if they actually did cover anything in D canon or if they went for the classic D film approach of Let's just make up what we want, and then sort of put some D and D stuff like a dwarf and and, and elf and <laughs> and um, Tom Baker in it. And the then... Super Mario Brothers approach to D and D. Yeah, I not... am interested to know how they're gonna do it because, like, it's without you role playing and like a GM and stuff. It's just. It's just, is it not just fantasy? It's just a fantasy setting, right? Well, it's like, what makes it D&D specific? Yeah, I guess that's, that's the big question is, are there going to be characters from the lore? Like, mm. I think Critical Role is getting its own animated show, right? That, that feels like something that could, you know, there are characters there, maybe more so than than just kind of D&D's open book, but... I hope well, they include like stuff like an awakened shrub and the <laughs> the, the rug thing, whatever that's called. Yeah, the the rug hut. awakened rug, <laughs> probably. From what I remember, actually, the original Dungeons and Dragons film does have one of those rugs in it. Uh, from what I remember, it does have a rug in it. So maybe I'm wrong, but I guess it's already been there. But there are there are like tons of. Dungeons and Dragons books mm. and video games like Baldur's Gate and um, oh my goodness, Torment that one Planescape Torment, that's the one so I like if any of if, if any of the films or the TV adaptations are going to answer any of the burning questions that people have in regards to which D&D creatures have cloacas. Mm. Oh, gosh. Because that is what everybody is trying to find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forget Drizzit old uh, whatever his name is. 
No, we want to see the the cloacas, don't we? Mm. <laughs> oh, we don't just see them. Like a Planet Earth documentary to... with <laughs> David Attenborough just talking gently over <laughs> pictures of a, a roving a so roving maulers cloaca. Mm. <laughs> but Gosh. yeah, we, who knows what it will be? But mm. to be honest, I would be impressed if they actually leaned into the the existing law because it just seems like a lot of the mainstream mainstream kind of adaptations of D&D have very much just been like, oh, let's just like do a Jumanji approach in the sense that let's just like get some new characters that people can relate to and then put them, can relate to and then put them in some vaguely D&D sort of story. Yeah, a lot of it focuses on the it's people diving into a game world kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the usual thing. They could probably do an anthology style series where it's like they take the the well-known campaigns and storylines and they make, you know, a few episodes on each. So you could have Curse of Strahd, you can have you yeah. know, um, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, that kind of thing. And then that, you know, people then want to play those game, uh, those storylines so they go out and pick yes. up the book. So it all kind they of... Work. It feeds See, into the big that. marketing machine. We're already... Nom, 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 nom. Last week, we already came up with, like, you know, loads of ideas for... What film was it that was coming out? Uh, Catan, it was the a movie. Catan film, that's it. And now we're doing D&D television ideas, mm. so Who would let's you... just move into production. Who would you cast as the lead in the D&D TV series? Me. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, Lonely's. Got to appreciate the uh, the boldness there. Yep. Lonely's is the lead. Uh, Jeremy Irons would be in it because mm. he's really good in the original film, as well as the man who has blue lips. I don't know what his name is, but there's a man who has blue lips in the film. Uh, oh. Yeah, it's never explained why he has blue lips. He just does. I thought you meant uh, like a real life man who had blue lips, and I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> maybe he does. Maybe that's why he has blue lips, but. Yeah, and probably like the usual, like Brendan Fraser would be in it. I think <laughs> the usual. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's not been usual since like the noughties. I haven't <laughs> he's, seen Brendan. He's a star. He has he has a track record. Monkey Bone is essentially a you know a, a film about someone going into a world of imagination. Can yeah, we have yeah. Morgan Freeman in this as well, please? Yeah, sure. Yeah, he's the narrator. He <gasps> will be talking about the cloacas. Yeah, he yeah. Does, he does whatever nowadays. He doesn't care. He's gone into that uh, actor, the older actor mode of where they're like, yeah, I'll just do whatever. Mm. Like Jeremy Irons was when he did the original D&D film. Anyway, yeah. there you go. Who else? We need, we need, um, we need apart from me, obviously, we need some other female. Yeah, Gwendolyn Christie. Female. Yeah! Just, <gasps> that's yeah! She's great. From She's, Game of Thrones uh, and yeah, uh, Captain Phasma. From Star Wars. Who's that? I don't know who Gwendolyn Christie is. I don't recognize the name. Now oh, that I name. say her name, I've forgotten her character's name in Game of Thrones. Uh, Brienne of Tarth. Brienne of Tarth. Yes. Oh, yeah. There we go. Great. I mean, just take uh, the Game yeah. of Thrones lot and stick Pass. him in a new. Yeah. yeah. Um, Amelia Clark, exactly. Yeah, sure. There you go. Um, I'll also put Eva Green in it because I want her and everything. And Sally Hawkins. Oh, Sally Hawkins would be great, actually. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah. Thank, well, you're welcome, you Hasbro. Go. We've cu- we've cast this. We've laid out the storyline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brandon uh, Fraser. Just send the check straight to, well, to each of our individual houses. For uh, me, that's please. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make sure the money gets where it needs to go. <laughs> oh god. 
Uh, all right, let's shift on. <laughs> we spent a lot of time on that. <laughs> Uh, let's shift on to this <laughs> quick announcement of a new or the next game from the studio behind Too Many Bones, um, which was kind of too like a... Too Many Bones. <laughs> too Sorry. Many Bones, Too Many Bones. Um, yes, Too Many Bones, for those who don't know, was kind of like a dice-driven RPG <laughs> board game from a few years back um, from Chip Theory Games. Uh, it was pretty well received, and now they are making a game called Burn Cycle, uh, all one word, and they specified in the press release that it should be spelt without a capital letter, which I immediately ignored. Um, because, <laughs> no. You're a rebel, Matt Jarvis. <laughs> That's not. Because, mm-hmm. no, because language. Uh, so, yeah, it's a it's a carp game. It's set in an earth where humanity went extinct and then was rescued by a load of robots. Uh, so humanity oh. is kind of is emerging back again. And then the first thing humanity apparently does is try to... Uh, control the robots once again Classic. so now the robots yeah. are pretty unhappy so you play a team of robots breaking into the head apparently just the headquarters of humanity which is a single <laughs> building with multiple floors yeah. um diehard style i mean duh <laughs> oh it's like a snow piercer but instead of a train but up instead of a big, across a yeah. big yeah a big building yeah so yeah uh, you are a team of robots and you're infiltrating this headquarters trying to work your way up the floors uh, in order to basically stop humanity doing its bad business. Hmm. Um, and the floors are kind of procedurally generated with different tiles uh, and have guards and other security networks hmm. that you need to hack or otherwise deal with. And the burn cycle refers, refers to a set of programming directives, uh, which is always an exciting phrase to see in the description of a game. Oh, yeah. um, so you have to kind of take specific actions in a certain order each round and you can break with that order and those actions but that will then cost you extra action dice or generally be more costly than if you followed them exactly so the aim is that the whole team works together to follow these programming directives and achieve each objective on each floor and by if you manage to do all of that while following the directives not breaking of it that's called a burn cycle um, which I don't work in programming, so I don't know if that's a real thing or if that's just something they've come up with. Uh, write in and let us know, and we'll go, hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what we do. That is what we'll do, and we'll never talk about it again. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, the concept sounds a bit more like The Raid or like Judge, that Dread film. Yeah. That Judge Dread film. Dread, yeah. It's, yeah it sounds cool. Good. Um and the art looks pretty nice. Uh, it is described as being medium weight, so it's kind of less complex than Too Many Bones, um, which wasn't the most complex game in the world, but was a little bit heftier than you know your average kind of uh, beginner board game. But it will launch, so by the time people hear this, it'll be launching in a few days on November the 10th. It Ooh. is quite pricey, I would say. Um, so it's coming in at $115 during the Kickstarter. Um, with an RRP when it launches next August of $130. Wow. Um, which I think, looking at what's included in the the box, I would assume that's because of there are neoprene mats used for the different rooms and floor layouts. Um, I can't see a load of miniatures included, which tends to normally be the thing that pushes up a Kickstarter price. But, uh, you know, the artwork looks cool. It sounds like an interesting enough premise. Uh, so I'm kind of intrigued to... To take a closer look at it when it hmm. when it comes out. Hmm. 
Hmm. See, there you go. There's that noise. The dice breaker noise of interest. Hmm. Uh, let's move on. Uh, kind of circling back around to D&D. Alex Meehan, you wrote this story about chilling that. tales from the Whispering Winds. I did write this story about chilling tales from the Whispering Winds. <laughs> Spooks! Uh, it, it's a it's a mixture of D&D 5e, so it's not official D&D 5e. Uh, and the Monster of the Week RPG, um, which is well, itself based on Apocalypse World. Powered by the Apocalypse, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> I can see Matt's face just being like, no, come on, not that one. Uh, yeah, it's a supplement for mostly for D&D with kind of mechanics from Monster of the Week. Uh, it's set in the Icewind Dale sort of area of the Forgotten Realms, uh, which also had the um, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden take place in it, which is that the official D&D adventure that came out fairly recently. Um, this is like a set of adventures based on various spooky things. So there's uh, one called the Horror at Fort Crystal Lake. Wink, wink. Yeah, there's and the picture of that is basically just kind of yeah. like a weird black smoke monster with, yeah, with the hockey mask Jason. of Jason. Yeah, <laughs> basically Jason, but smoky. Uh, smoky Jason, as we call him. <laughs> what? Smoky Jason, smoky as we like Jason. to call him. Yeah, Smoky hey, Jason. I'm Smoky Jason. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded like, more like Freddy Krueger there. <laughs> well jason doesn't talk right no he doesn't so that doesn't oh, play know. well on a podcast but... i've not watched all the the jason films but i'm so glad i'm glad we've reached that. this point where <laughs> my off the cuff gag about jason is being broken down that's good yeah uh yeah so the the collection of adventures um i think it comes with like an explanation of how to play it <laughs> It's it's a set of PDFs essentially, uh, where you have the the different adventures and the kind of rule set of how it combines um, Monster of the Week with D D Five E, and it's available now from the Dungeon Masters Guild website uh, for about seven pounds. There you go. Yeah. If you're interested in spooks and D and Monster of the Week. There you go. All right. <laughs> Jobs are good. Yeah. Jobs I, I like Monster of the Week very much. Uh, but it is the kind of thing where it's like, if I want to play Monster of the Week, I'll probably just play Monster of the Week. Mm. Um, but I think if you're if you're playing D&D already, if that's where your group is and you want to try some of those things, this is a, a cool way of getting some of that in there. Well, uh, you know, people like that Icewind Dale thing. They do. So uh, maybe they want to play that with some more spooks. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see out this new section with with this later story coming hot off the press as of today. Uh, but by the time you listen to this, it will be, you know, a few days ago. Yeah. Alex Meehan, Harry Potter, Catch the Snitch. Oh, everyone's been waiting for this. <laughs> it is directly hot off the presses. Uh, you get a sneak preview, I guess, into a new story you can probably look at now. The- <laughs> um, 
<laughs> a sneak pre-revenue story that went up two days ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, in in terms of time and how it works, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's a new miniatures board game based off Quidditch, that sport that they play in Harry Potter. Uh, and essentially, it's a two-player game, just like you'd have two teams in Quidditch, uh, and you can choose between the four different houses, the Hogwarts houses, uh, Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Slytherin, Ravenclaw, you know, the like. However, if you're a Hufflepuff or a Ravenclaw fan, sucks for you. Because it turns out they just didn't bother to give any of the units names in Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw. Oh my god. Yeah, in ha- in Gryffindor and Slytherin, they have players like um, Katie Bell and, and... Oh my goodness. And like, in, in Slytherin, I think they've got Zabibi Blaze, I think his name is. Um... Whereas in Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw, they're all just called Ravenclaw Seeker, Ravenclaw Beater. I think it's because, and again, nothing's confirmed, but I think it's because the game is based off of the films specifically. And in the films, I don't think they ever really refer to any of the Hufflepuff or Ravenclaw players by name. Whereas in the books, obviously, they do have their actual characters in the books and stuff. You know. Um, although you can get Cedric Diggory if you <laughs> if you pay an extra 30 euros for the expansion. Because it turns out that in the core box, in the Gryffindor, for example, you don't get Harry Potter. You just get Gryffindor Seeker. <laughs> What? <laughs> this makes no sense. You also this don't get Ron no... Weasley. Um, so I'm not sure who the... I don't know who the... Oh my gosh, the Keeper is in, in the Gryffindor set. Possibly whoever it was before Ron Ron came in. But um, you also got Draco Malfoy and the only named Hufflepuff player. Um so if you want that, I guess you can pay extra. Mm. Um, yeah, but the core game is essentially, I don't know the specifics of how it plays because the Kickstarter just didn't really reveal that information from what I could see. But I, I'm, from what I can gather, you have a set of tactical cards for each house team. And the tactical cards are kind of based about around like how the teams play in like the films. So like Slytherin are like the sneaky ones and stuff, and then Gryffindor do like daring feats and things. And then you can play tactical cards to perform actions and things. And obviously you've got the game board with the, the goalposts on either side. Um yeah. And there are snitch cards, which I don't know what they do specifically. I still think this, like, this was being discussed in Slack earlier, um, and I don't know who said it, but somebody said this sounds like this could be like a Harry Potter in prison catch the snitch. That was Johnny. And I still, Johnny, yeah, and I still think that it would be way better. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why they didn't just call it Quidditch unless there's already a game called Quidditch, mm. which there might be. I don't know about all the Harry Potter games out there, but yeah. 
Which is especially weird because so this comes from Night Models, who previously made the very like <laughs> does what it says on the tin Harry Potter miniatures adventure game, uh, which speaking speaking from personal opinion rather than the view of Dicebreaker, uh, is one of the worst games I've ever played and is <laughs> absolutely terrible. Um, and was about hundred pounds, and was the gameplay was functional but incredibly boring. The mm. miniatures were not great. Um, they were quite brittle. Uh, and the rest of the components, given that it was a £100 set, were like very thin card and hard to read. They tried to copy the style of like the Daily Profit newspaper on the com- character cards, which just made them really difficult to read and understand what was going on. Mm. Um, but that had a similar thing where a lot of the characters you'd want were part of expensive expansions. So you could kind of fight a couple of spiders, I think, and maybe a Death Eater. Um, but if you wanted anything more interesting than that, you had to cough up uh, kind of it's another so 50 stupid. to 100 pounds. But it, it was a terrible game. Um, and <laughs> I mean, also, we can't speak for this one. Because... No, but, you know, Harry Potter, you know, let's say that it's a franchise created by a terrible person who will yeah. benefit in some way from purchasing if this game is backed um so with those things in mind you know speaking personally i would maybe say give this one a miss Um, yeah i mean aside from the terrible person who would benefit from this um it's also a bit of uh uh it kind of takes the 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 mickey let's say that a lot of the main characters are only accessible through a separate expansion. Um, and <laughs> also your entire Kickstarter is just taken up with pictures of the miniatures and you don't explain how the game even works in the in the Kickstarter. Like, <laughs> It is incredible that a game called Harry Potter, colon, Catch the Snitch, does not include Harry Potter. No, it includes... <laughs> That's what I mean. When you said that, I was like, what? That makes no sense. It includes Gryffindor's, Gryffindor Seeker. You all, we all want to play as them. Anyway, yeah. Yep. You can also get like other characters in other other expansion things that have absolutely no, nothing to do with the game itself. They're just there. Like, <laughs> just like Luna, bystanders. Like, yeah, like Luna Lovegood in her hat, in the, the lion hat. Is oh, is that? I suppose so. You can put them in the crowd, or yeah, you can also get Gilderoy Lockhart as one of the units. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, that's enough of that. Yeah, yeah. The ki- oh, the Kickstarter is live now. I guess. Yeah, there you go. You've you've been informed. Um... Uh, yeah, we've been we've been, we've been very neutral. Mm. Uh, all right, let's move on to emails. Uh, if you've got emails. an email for the team, you can reach us at podcast at dicebreaker.com. You can find us on Twitter at join dicebreaker. You can find us pretty much everywhere else. Uh, They're everywhere. Yeah, search for dicebreaker. Email. You'll find us. Um, email. <laughs> email. Email. Uh, Lolis, would you like to read this one from Peter, please? Peter says, hey, Dicebreaker, I've been reading through some rule books for different <laughs> games recently. And I wondered if you had ever used game mechanics from one game to replace game mechanics or add new mechanics to another game. Thanks. 
Peter. <laughs> you read every question at that speed. We'll be here. We'll be here all day. <laughs> Very um, dramatic, um, though. Yeah, thank you. So, game mechanics in a different game. I'm actually trying to think. I'm not sure I have. I mean, I might, with RPGs, I might have borrowed some ideas uh, in terms of resolving things. But I don't think I've ever straight up used a mechanic from one game and another. Hmm. That's a very boring answer. but yeah, I, I probably have, but I don't know. Yeah. The thing is, I'm very, I'm a very, like, very much a stickler of the rules kind of person. So, like... If a game doesn't work as it is, I'm like, well, this game is not good. Let's move on. Yeah. Because it was designed this way. And if it doesn't, if I don't like it, then that's not for me. So that like, I don't really try and mess with games because I'm like, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be designing this game because it should be already designed. Yeah. That's kind of where I come on it as well. It's like, this game is designed in this certain way. Like I'm not, like you say, I'm not a game designer. Like I feel like... I'm only introducing problems. One thing I have just thought of is Seafall, which is a competitive game, I think for three or more players, um, which I played when we revisited it. Um, we played it as a co-op game and ignored some of the like enmity mechanics, which are some of the slightly more sluggish, um, like flawed elements of the original game. Um, mm. But we had a great time just playing it as a co-op game, just kind of sailing around the seas having little adventures and reading bits from the storybook. And that was perfectly fine. But that was just taking rules out rather than adding rules mm. in. I mean, I did, a, I did a lot of that kind of stuff when I was a kid. Like, I used to play Payday and we'd make our own rules and add it to the game. Um, I don't, don't ask me what the rules were. I just remember that we were, like, sending each other letters and sometimes the letters would include bills. I don't really know. But... <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but it was like, yeah, but I used to do it a lot as a kid. But yeah, no, I just I stick to the rules these days pretty much. Mm. I think. Yeah, I mean, I probably dialed some rules back to make things a bit fairer or tweaked things, but I can't think of when I've actively swapped rules from one game to another. Mm. I think the other thing as well is because, like, particularly reviewing games, you're trying to get the experience that everyone else will have or as close mm. as possible to that. So a lot of the time, if you start tweaking them around that makes for a very different experience mm. um so being in this job kind of makes you stick to the rules by default but. i think at my at my old job um some certain people very often would uh make up rules to a game like either not read the rules at all and just make them up just based on what the game looked like or they would like tweak the game to make it more fun like what they thought was fun and it used to drive me crazy but like i worked in a company which made games so it made sense because they were like i guess experimenting to a certain extent but it used to drive me crazy because i'm like that's not how the game works we should be playing it how it works <laughs> like why are you not even reading the rules just have a <laughs> quick look at the rules it doesn't take that long <laughs> but yeah so i feel i've i've i know people who do but i've never i've never done it myself <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. Sorry for the boring answer, Peter. Let's <laughs> stick to the rules. Uh, <laughs> me and hey, ki hey kids, <laughs> don't break the rules. Don't do house rules. Um, <laughs> uh, me and would you like to read this one from Max, please? Oh, I would love to. Uh, Max says, "Greetings from Seattle." <gasps> 
Yeah. Hello. How yes. how are the salad and scrambled eggs? Are you sleeping well? Oh right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um what is your most memorable that shouldn't have worked moment that wasn't purely down to dice roll or a dm saying that you did hmm hmm gotta think of uh an answer i mean now. i mean i did literally one of those yesterday when we filmed dungeon breaker where i was like i want a charm person on this squirrel mm. um and yeah, it shouldn't have worked, but wait. Or a DM saying that you did. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what if it's not based on a dice roll or the DM? Then what else could it be based on? Uh. I don't know. I feel like your your bit in Dungeon Breaker kind of counts because that was you suggesting that idea rather than the DM saying this happens. Right. So okay. that's how I'm reading this question anyway. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to think of an example. Um, I feel like there have been a few like that in Dungeon Breaker where it's one of the things with D&D where it's like you have, particularly in the early levels, you have a small selection of spells or attacks or abilities. So you're just trying to find more and more kind of inventive ways of using them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, that's that's one of the things with that game. It's just like, I just don't want to hit something with a mace again and again and again yeah particularly because that... i won't and i'll miss but yeah <laughs> well yeah especially in the lower levels of D, your options are limited when it comes to combat even more so so if you don't want to just go and hit something with your weapon then you have to kind of think outside of the box naturally like i've always done that even in D, even not in dungeon breaker because like Dungeon Breaker has that that kind of that character of being yeah this technically shouldn't work but we're going to let it work because that's more fun but even you know in campaigns that might be a bit more close to you know classic D&D 5e I've always kind of tried to do those things anyway because I often play spellcasters as it is and their whole jig is using spells particularly bards um they have to think outside of the box if you want to do anything except the same cantrip over and over again um tim would be boring if i just use poison spray constantly (laughs) no one wants that no one wants that particularly with my rate of success with that spell not being great Mm. i will say that again the session we just filmed because it's fresh in my mind uh something that wheels did really stood out to me as like a very clever way of using a spell that he's used a lot of times in the past for a very specific purpose Mm. um but it was like Mm -hmm. a really really smart way of using it kind of like you say out of the box um yeah Hmm. yeah i mean like in the deadlands campaign we're playing at the moment um i play a character that's also in the other deadlands campaign charles p mcginty Uh, And he is basically built to be bad at most things, except for sort of weaseling his way out of situations uh, using like persuasion and charm. Like that's pretty much what I built him for. And like there have been some situations that he's managed to talk his way out of. 
that I've been like, woo, that could have gone very badly if I'd failed that. <laughs> but I think a lot of the, the best kind of role-playing is like, don't just... I, I think just don't just go for the most basic option. It's always more fun when you you go for something unexpected. Mm. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your question. Uh, Lolis, would you like to read this one from Andy in Sheffield, please? Hello, Dicebreaker Podcast. Are there any games which you've been really looking forward to playing which resulted in disappointment the first time you experienced them? Did you ever find yourself going back to these games later for another try, or was that one bad experience enough to make you decide to move on and try other games instead? From Andy Halton in Sheffield. Yes! I can tell you the exact game as well. Um, I, uh, Paranormal Detectives was a game that I tried at UK Games Expo, I don't know, two years ago, um, and I loved it, and I thought it was great, and I was like, this is, you know, this is like uh, Cluedo, but way better and um like uh mysterium but different uh which were games i really like um and so i was super super excited for it to like actually launched when it was coming out at essen spiel like a few months later mm. it was like i don't know six month wait or whatever um and finally i went to essen i picked it up we played it in the office and it was like not great and then we played it on camera and it wasn't great. And then I brought it to a friend's home and it wasn't great. And I brought it home and played it again and it wasn't great. Mm. And I was like, right, there's, I mean, I've given it plenty of chances. This is, just doesn't work. And I was like, you know, because the first time I was like, maybe we were all just tired. And then the next time I was like, maybe I just wasn't playing with the right people or I don't know. But it just never got good and I never got that experience that I had the first time around. And mm. I think it might have been... Maybe they changed some stuff in the game in the meantime, or I think it's the scenario specifically that didn't really appeal to me. But um, I think I usually try and give games more than one chance um, because I, I'd have found in the past that like Catan, for example, I hated the first time I played it, but then I played it again years later and I thought it was brilliant. Um, it just sometimes it's just like I'm having a bad day or I'm not playing with the right people or um, maybe my like in the case I think of Catan it was no it was probably the wrong people but <laughs> but like sometimes you know uh, maybe on that day the rules I just wasn't in the head to learn loads of rules or something so I usually would try and give a game more than one chance mm. Yeah. Mm. I think I mean, unless you're playing it kind of at like a convention, it's that very kind of first touch. Like if you've bought a game, you know, you've kind of invested enough to try and give it a couple shots. I think like a lot of the games I've played the last five... You say that, Matt. Well, the... I bought, I bought, what was the one? Photosynthesis. I oh, that, that you gave away. Um, <laughs> I gave, I played it once. We all played it at the convention. Hated it. I, get, I sold it to my friend. Yeah. Like, I don't want to play this again. I can't believe you don't like photosynthesis. It's great. But that's, again, I only played it once and I, I actually <laughs> gave up on it. So um, maybe I lied. Mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I feel for, for most, let's say for most people, if you've invested like £50 into a game, you'll probably give it a few shots before writing it off. Mm. Um, and it like a lot of the games I've played in the last five, six years have been for review. So it's kind of been a case of, well, I need to play this, you know, mm -hmm. four, five, six times to understand it. There have been some, I think I've mentioned Pax Premier, uh, which is by the designer of Root, uh, Cole Worley. 
uh, as being a game where the first time I, it, I just I didn't hate it. I just kind of didn't get it. It was like this is it's just not sparking with me. And then I played it again and again and again, and suddenly it was like whoa. Um, I kind of got it. The one that never never worked for me was Secrets, which was really exciting because it was I think it's Eric Lang and Bruno Fedotti. Um, two kind of big name designers. It's a social deduction game, which I absolutely adore. It's kind of this Cold War social deduction game where some of you, I think, are um, like some of you are KGB, some of you are CIA. Yeah, Yeah, I've played this one. And you, the idea is that you don't necessarily know what's in front of you, your roll card. So you swap with other people and look at their cards, and so it's meant to be this kind of shifting thing. But it just never. It never worked. We played it a handful of times and it just never kind of found the right uh, spot. And I was playing with people, you know, with which I play The Resistance and other social deduction games and have had a good time. But it just never, ever worked, which was really disappointing because I was looking forward to it. Hmm. Mm. I'd say the two games that I've been... I can't think of a lot of games that I've played initially and been like, oh, I don't like that, and then come back to it and really liked it again. Because a lot of the time, my experiences of playing games is the ones I own are the ones that I like already. So I don't tend to buy things on a whim and then play them simply because of the amount of investment required. So they're usually ones that I would have tried somewhere else and then really liked and bought or, you know, something like that. Um, So the ones that I wouldn't have liked are usually ones that uh a friend has and then i would have played it and been like "Mm, not really into that or like i've done for review like these like uh matt so one of them it was obscuro do you remember we played that Mm. together um that was meant to be like yeah yeah. it was meant to be like mysterium yeah or or you know along those lines of interpreting you know, images, and you move through an actual building, and you go into the different rooms, and each room has a card in it, and I think you have to work out which one is yours, or something like like that, or which room is the correct one, but, um, you know, those kind of games, like Mysterium and and Detective Club, uh, not so much Dixit, I'm not as big a fan of that, um, I think are really good if they're implemented well because it's such a uh, I'd say a modern mechanic that we're seeing more and more and if it's done well it's great this just did it in a way that didn't really work and it wasn't very engaging and the whole game board thing didn't really add much to the experience um, so that was disappointing uh, the other one <laughs> is vast the mysterious manner. Oh. <laughs> Every time I bring up that game in Lonely's presence, <laughs> it was the first game I reviewed as part of Dicebreaker last year, um, and obviously it's a very exciting thing because you know this is the first big job I had to do. Uh, turns out <laughs> it wasn't very good. Um, you know, it's by later games. Um, obviously, the previous one, Crystal. Crystal Caverns, I think people had liked. And, you know, it's an asymmetric game by a company 
that had done a previous asymmetric game that people love, Roots, and Kyle Ferrin had done the artwork and everything. So, you know, I was excited about this and just no matter how many times we played that game, we played it a lot of times. It was just, I just don't understand how you're supposed to enjoy yourself playing this because you can't, you know, get invested in the game because all you're doing is constantly looking at rule books and rule pages and it's just so overly complicated, needlessly so. And there's just such a lack of player interaction involved, despite the fact that that is like a big draw of playing games like Root, for example. Just, yeah, it was just a major disappointment in that regard. Um, but then the next later game I reviewed this year was really good. So four. So there you go. Ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, oh, what, what, the, there was one game Obscure, yeah that one you mentioned I had the same thing actually because mm. I remember seeing that at Essen the same time as Paranormal, the same year as Paranormal Detectives and I remember being like I really want to try it I really want to try it and mm. um, and the, the tables that had Obscure on them kept being busy so I never got a chance to try it until uh, I was back in the office and I think mm. a bunch of us played it together yeah right? we all we played it do a yeah, video. Yeah. and it was awful and I was like I'm so glad I didn't waste my time at Essen yeah. playing this but yeah, it was so dull. Uh, burp, burp. Let's finish on this one from Asher. Uh, Lolis, did you just read that last one from Andy? I've read most of them, yeah. Oh, right. Mian, <laughs> can you take this one from Asher, please? Wow. <laughs> most of them. Um, Asher says, Hello, Dicebreaker team. I got into D&D during COVID because the game's going online. I could finally learn from my friends who live in different areas and now I'm DMing a campaign. But I've also wanted to try different games. The issue is that with D&D, the rules are free online, so everyone can have a copy. But with the other games, there are physical rule books. Have any of you found a way to share tabletop gaming rules online, or do you have any free RPGs that you would recommend? Thank you, and give up. Give up? Keep up? Give up? <laughs> wow. Yeah, Thank you, and give up. End on a savage note. Give up. I think... It's worth saying with this, obviously, it can depend on the game. I think quite a few games allow you to buy one copy because they're DRM-free and then share the PDF with other yeah. players. Obviously, support publishers where you can. Don't download paid games for free, that kind of thing. But I think a lot of them understand that, you know, you might have a group where you want to share the rules around, but not everyone wants to spend 15 to £20 pounds on a rule book. Uh, so it's always mm. worth checking. I think a lot of publishers have really good resources for rules references or player sheets or things like that. Um, so I think the thing here was it that made me pull this question was whether there are any kind of free RPGs that anyone knows of that are easy to play during lockdown as we find ourselves heading back into another lockdown here in the UK. Hmm. I don't personally, but I know there's a great list, right? Is there a list? Free RPGs? That up? I don't think Did free do RPGs. No. Oh. Well, there. Oh no, yeah, no. There's always been paid, isn't it? Yeah. Well, something. Isn't there stuff on Twitch? Twitch uh, on. What's that one? Itch.io. Itch. Itch. Yeah. Um, where you can like play what or pay what you can or something, mm. which I think is. I've I've never been on there. I don't really do a lot of stuff myself, but I know that like I've seen a lot of stuff pop up. A lot of people posting their own RPGs and saying, like, it's just pay what you can. And, like, you could pay nothing if you can't pay anything. Or, you know, you can throw them 
something if you can. Yeah. Um, depends. That's all really. I know of. It depends on the on the the RPG. So there's a lot of I'd say each.io specializes a lot in kind of really out there RPGs indie stuff that is usually priced a lot lower than something like a a D&D player's handbook for example. So you know I don't know the specific prices but I know for example Wheels has mentioned a lot of RPGs by help me out here Matt Jarvis the the one that uh, they claim to play ball who who made that? Oh is that AG Slattery? Uh, AG Slattery? I think so. Sorry yeah, I'm um, half remembering that name. Yeah, I mean Wheels knows a lot of of really indie RPGs that you can get on itch.io. Adira Slattery, apologies. That's the one. Uh, there's also, for example, um, I think a lot of us got the Racial Justice Humble Bundle Pack that had a lot of RPGs included in it, like Lancer, and which is, you know, exciting. Uh, I want to play that. Uh, as well as, like, several solo RPGs. Like, I'm still having to go through that pack because there's still so much on there that I haven't looked at yet and that is an enormous amount of value for money and also you know a lot of books source books have like character sheets in there that you could potentially scan and send to your friends or you could split an rpg's cost between you like once again there's loads of pdf you know downloadable versions of rpg's out there that if you split the cost between you, a lot of them are like fifteen pounds, something like that. There's, you know, three of you. That's like five pounds each. Then you can like just send those over to each other and share them, uh, via email or whatever. Um, yeah, like yeah. I think we're very much in the the camp of supporting publishers and creators when it comes to this sort of thing. So. We don't have a mark. We don't have like an entire folder for the free RPGs. Yeah, I think it's worth saying. So itch, itch is amazing for this stuff. Uh, like you mm. both said, itch has a specific feature as well where publishers can offer community copies of RPGs um, yep. for those who may not be able to afford them normally. So I think they can set it up so if they sell a certain number of copies paid, they then will give away like an extra copy for free. Um, many of the RPGs are pay what you want, so obviously you can pay what you want um but there are so i was just double checking this lancer has a free version um, yeah for instance that i think with indie rpgs there are so many that have either tasters of the rules or starter sets yeah, yeah. or are available completely for free um mm-hmm. and are often drm free which is obviously the benefit because then you can share them openly um also if you look around i think grant how it puts out all of his one-page rpgs are often free <laughs> yeah. and are incredible <laughs> Yeah. Um, so there like is the one last week I think was I'm a lover not a fighter and it's about you going to like a ball and <laughs> you can choose to either get through things by loving or fighting <laughs> which is great so That's... yeah yeah so I think once you once you do move beyond essentially D&D and the really big names there is an unbelievable wealth of like low price to free RPGs, yeah. but itch yeah. is, I would say one of the best kind of outlets for that stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, 
obviously support folks where you can, um, but there is like there's no shortage of RPGs that you can just pick up and play for a session and maybe play for more than one session if they take your fancy and then maybe down the road you can then invest in kind of filler versions. So mm. Indeed. Alright, I think that about does us for this week. Uh, thank you for your questions again. If you'd like to get in touch, you can reach us at podcast at dicebreaker.com or find us on Twitter at joindicebreaker. Before we leave you, Lowly's representative of the video team this week, what's coming up on oh, no. youtube.com slash dicebreaker. Every week, it's the same format. I know. Why do I forget this every single week? Right. Well, by the time you're listening to this, uh, the third episode of Noel's House Party, which is um, our current Dungeon Breaker uh, episode run arc thing, um, is coming out at 3 p.m. So join us for the premiere. We'll be in chat. Saturday. Um, on, on Saturday. Did I say Did I not yeah, say Saturday? You said by the time this comes out. It will be tomorrow. Awesome. I meant to say tomorrow <laughs> yeah. at some point, but I guess I forgot. Um, <laughs> we're also um, going to have... Uh, we played Bardsung, which I remembered mm-hmm. halfway through the, the podcast um, that I had played Bardsung, which is which was good fun. But um, the that's a sponsored video, and that will be out on Sunday. Um, and we did play that with the developers of the game, which is quite cool, and we played that on Tabletopia. Um, by the time this comes out... Uh, you may have seen uh, Wheels and Johnny's video um, of playing <laughs> tabletop sim in VR. Oh. Which, uh, I haven't watched the full thing, but I saw a clip, and my lord, um, <laughs> Wheels can get real creepy sometimes. Um, and then, of course, there will have been a pain stream as well. Um, and loads more coming next week as well. Mm-hmm. And over on dicebreaker.com, with the usual daily news, uh, we have a recent list of the best fantasy board games from one Alex Me. Uh, we have a list of the of Catan house rules. Speaking of house rules earlier, um, but Catan house rules that actually make it a bit more fun if you are growing tired of the same old Catan. Mm. Um, and coming up in the near future, we have some things that I've written in this document that I'm now not looking at. Uh, <laughs> oh, already up. We have a guide to painting miniatures. Um, if you prefer a text mm. guide, it kind of takes you through the basics uh, if you're completely new and what you need. Um, and yes, we will have some new exciting things coming up next week and onwards to the end of the year. So there will be much to look forward to. Uh, and as usual, Christmas, Christmas, that's the one. Uh, and you can also, of course, as well as visiting youtube.com slash dicebreaker and dicebreaker.com, you can buy dicebreaker merchandise on dicebreaker.myshopify.com. And who knows? There may be some new merchandise in time for Christmas, <gasps> in addition to our existing stuff. So keep you your buy eyes it peeled. For presents. You can. I would assume the shipping. Gonna... I would assume will arrive in time, but let's not make any promises of that. Um, if not, it you should buy be buy all my family members. It should be very soon. Break a merch for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's all they're getting this year. <laughs> yeah. As long as you pay full price, you're very oh. welcome to. <laughs> Um, but yes until we catch you next Friday for another episode of the Dicebreaker podcast thank you for joining us Alex Lowlies thanks for having me next week it's Dirty Knee by the way Dirty oh right yeah oh is that the bingo (laughs) call yeah Uh, (laughs) thanks for being here Alex Meehan very salacious (laughs) thank you for having me (laughs) I've been Matt Jarvis. Thank you for listening. 
until we return, stay safe out there and have a long day. Bye. Bye.